Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. My guest today is Hugh Rollins. Hi Hugh, how's things? Hi Kieran, not too bad. We're enjoying lockdown. We're uh, trying to keep busy, having a good time. How are you finding it? Um, it's not too bad so far actually. It's hard to motivate yourself, but uh, it's all about finding things to do. I think, you know, there's been a big thing online about um, creative people having the opportunity to be creative now. But I think it's good as well not to put too much pressure on yourself to kind of write. Yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? That's what it is, that's what yeah. I feel it is. Yeah, and I think, um, well, if, it, if you've got the motivation to go do it now, perfect, it's the perfect time to be writing. But, like, also take time for yourself to relax. Absolutely. Take pressure off. I wanted to start by asking you the same question I've asked everyone so far. Yep. How did you first get interested in theatre? It is an interesting question. Um, I can remember quite clearly, it was about five years old, and we all went on a school trip to the Torch Theatre in Milford Haven to see their, um, their Christmas pantomime. I believe it was Jack in the Beanstalk or something like that. And I remember being extremely jealous of the people who were acting out on stage. Yes. And from then on, it was just the case. It was the case of finding a way to be that person on stage, no matter where I was in my education, in mm. my in my personal life, things like that. And, and I have tried to fight against it at certain points. Right. And it's always ended up coming back to the same place. Were you were you in school plays and things like that? Yeah, I was in pretty much all of the school plays. I was the third camel in the nativity. Nice. I was one of the dan- I was a dancer in um, a Christmas Carol. And then for our leavers um, assembly, I was the main character, so I was the lead <laughs> progression there. Um, when did you start to stay acting as less of a hobby and more of a thing that you could do as a career? Um, 
GCSE after not picking it as one of my options. Because I loved drama all the way through school. I got on well with my drama teachers, but I never saw it as something that could make me any money. So I took construction instead, despite being a terrible designer. <laughs> I still cannot put together any piece of woodwork at all. But um, I went to my first couple of design technology lessons. Absolutely hated it. Um, I think I fell asleep in one of the classes, which isn't great when you're using saws. Not ideal. No. Not ideal at all. But um, my drama teacher then decided to start a campaign to get me to change into <laughs> drama, and I've been happy doing it ever since. Yeah. So that was the. And as soon as I got into the drama class, it started to become less of a thing that could have happened yeah. as a career and more of an exciting and interesting idea to actually follow to do as a job yeah. to get things to do. Did you feel that there was a perception about drama and those subjects that you maybe didn't want to that you believed at that point that you didn't want to identify with? Yeah, I always believed, I always believed back then anyway, that if you weren't handsome, if you weren't as able as other people, if you weren't the peak uh, specimen of human, that acting wasn't really for you. Because you never, back, back then anyway, you never really saw anybody outside of the the top five percent of being attractive or like physical yeah do you know what I mean and all the way through secondary school I wasn't the most fit person I wasn't the best looking person but like I always enjoyed acting never saw that as something I could do I never saw it as a career that people could make money in right and there's still a perception out there for that at least from some of my friends, some of my best friends even still take the neck that anybody doing a career in acting will definitely be good at being a barista. Yes, that's one of the stereotypes. The old joke. Mm. <laughs> the old joke is that um, anybody following a career in acting or theatre or writing... Especially at our level. Oh yeah, especially at our level. I think everybody's had the coffee shop Mm. Joke thrown at them multiple times on our level. But it's about how you kind of stay motivated and dedicated to what you're doing and yeah. not listen to those. Yeah, it, it is hard not to listen to people with that opinion. Then again, when you've heard it 15 times over, it starts to lose mm. meaning a little bit, especially when you know the actual truth of it. But there are jobs out there. Did you feel that there were enough opportunities for you in Pembrokeshire growing up? I don't think so, no. I don't think there were a lot of opportunities. There were different schemes to get us into acting. There was the Torch Theatre Youth School, which I attended for two years. There was Saunders Foot Footlights, which I went on to... Uh, a part of for a couple of years um, but apart from that not really because 
I was part of the the studio. I had to audition in Cardiff and travel up every Sunday to Cardiff at seven o'clock in the morning. It wasn't until my first year of Young Actors Studio that they moved it down to Pembrokeshire. Right. So there is there's an effort now where there is more theatre popping up in Pembrokeshire, but we're still at a point where any young actors don't really have an opportunity to get into the business down here. It's a travelling job. Because it's also Cardiff-centric. It is very Cardiff-centric for um, for the majority of acting work in Pembrokeshire, but necessarily a bad thing and there are these people that are trying to make acting more available and tr- create more opportunities outside of Cardiff mm. because uh, what was that? there was a national theatre play in Tenby one, one year MTW or MTW yeah it was a um, was it called the Tidewalker? I think. I think I vaguely remember that. Yeah, because I I didn't go see it because I was working at the time. But um, I remember that being a fantastic opportunity for people from the local area that got part of theatre. Because mm. like they included a lot of the local community, uh, the fishermen, things like that. Similar to what they did in Patel, but we're we're still here. Did you see that yeah. show? Yeah, um, I think community engagement is a good way to go to increase the number of people who maybe see theatres as not something that is just Cardiff-centric yeah. or London-centric. Or, yeah, exactly, or Edinburgh, yes. anything like that. Uh, I want to talk about Yaz. Um, how did you get involved with the Young Actors Studio and what do you feel it's kind of given you as an actor? Um, I'd say the Young Actors Studio came about by accident for me, really for me because um, I was walking through Cardiff with my parents after we'd been to see a rugby game when I was about 15 and we saw the Royal Welsh College and we decided to pop in for a prospectus just to see three years ahead of time if that's where I wanted to go for my um, uh, for university yeah for drama school and um, we popped in we saw on the prospectus the young actor studio and in that moment it was like right we're going to book an audition we're going to get run up and do that and then I went I auditioned within a room of 20 people which mm. might have been the first proper audition of my life and it was terrifying <laughs> it was going from school productions and community productions to this room full of people who might be professional actors mm. in the future and it felt like a different world completely and I left just thinking there's no way I've got in got home yeah. I think it was two to three weeks and I got a letter in the post and it was like you've been accepted to join Young Actors Studio, and to me that was like a world away. It was professional. I was about to be paid millions of pounds <laughs> just to attend them yeah. Sunday. But 
but uh, but no, I I was glad to be a part of it by accident, mm. and then I think what it gave me overall was an understanding of the business. So I had an understanding that people could make money, but I didn't know how. um, All of the tutors, the lecturers, um, everybody that taught me through the Young Actors Studio gave me a good insight into what the the business was actually like, how actual actors lived. Yeah. Like... um, I think one thing they did play up quite a bit was the fact you need a job on the side, which I took to heart. Right. Um, they also said, it was also the confidence they gave you in your acting. So they, what they would do is, um, they'd go over any monologue you wanted to do to an extent that you knew you were doing it. Um, you you were doing it without having to do it. What do you mean, sorry? So, um, you rehearsed the monologue so so much, it became part of what you were doing. It became... Second nature, like like an automatic reflex or response kind of thing. Yeah, and I feel like doing that at a younger age, it gives you the confidence to know that anything you later on while not to that extent you can become mm. like that with things but if like, you if you're learning it to the extent that it becomes automatic do you then yeah. lose the connection you have with the character and the meaning of the one of I, I don't think so I don't think if you push it to the point that it becomes automatic I think you become robotic in recite in the speech mm. if, if it becomes automatic in the way that it's just coming out of your head it's like an actual thought process coming out of your head it can be a very um, natural thing so like they could be your thoughts rather than being rather than reciting something that is obviously written yeah. for performance. Well, I think what I'm trying to say by automatic is the fact that the words become so ingrained in your head. Yes. They become more your thoughts than what someone's written down. Yeah. As you, you mean, so it's yeah. finding that place of automatic, of automatic recital where it's coming out of your head how you'd say it. Yeah. It's your thoughts, your thoughts, your expressions, things like that. Yeah. Um, thinking what I got out of the Young Actors Studio, beyond a confidence in my ability, um, networking and meeting fantastic friends, I don't think you can really pin it down. Okay. I think it's experience in wide array of different forms of acting Mm. so you get experience with movement you get experience with monologues you get experience with audition technique you get experience on film all different aspects of acting that's great and then you get the mechanical workings of acting as well so alexander technique um voice voice control different kinds of things even 
singing classes. Yeah. If that's the way you want to get Um, you ended up going to the University of South Wales to do your bachelor's. Um, did that course live up to what you expected it to be? Um, I didn't really go in expecting much of it, actually. It was, I was looking at, um, I don't know, I went, I went in for my, um, which turned out to be a small audition process, which I quite enjoyed. But it was the most comfortable audition I'd ever done. Right. Um, I enjoyed... I enjoyed the day, I enjoyed the place, and I really enjoyed the energy of all the people there. And it just sort of felt like home walking into it. Okay. It was was a comfortable location to be. And I think I entered... University of South Wales, not looking for a three-year course, but looking for a place to spend my year while I auditioned for drama school. Oh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, because I got um, into a foundation year at least 15, but I didn't really have the um, the money to study there that year because it was quite expensive to go up and live in Southend. Yeah. And um, I'd just do a foundation year to find something else afterwards. So I went straight to the uh, University of South Wales and I ended up enjoying the course so much I didn't go and audition for drama schools. <laughs> I ended up staying there for three years and meeting fantastic people, doing fantastic things on the course. And um, and yeah, I don't regret my time at University of South Wales at all. The course did live up to what I, was, I, to what I wanted, but I will say I didn't feel ready to become an actor leaving the course. It didn't prepare you for life as an actor after university then? No, because I was, um, I was asking the questions to the lecturers about, um, about auditions, getting auditions, getting an agent, things like that. Mm. And, um, I don't think there was very much thought put into the process of helping people find, um, work as an actor, finding an agent as an actor, finding all sorts of things. I agree with you, we spoke about this before, but I did the writing course at USW, yeah. and the tuition in terms of the craft of writing was fantastic, but yeah. in terms of what happens after uni, I felt it was lacking in the kind of next step, where do you go next? Yeah. And I know that we're adults, we should be able to find our own way. <laughs> yeah. But we need some guidance of an industry that we haven't got much experience of. Yeah, because anybody leaving university isn't guaranteed to have the knowledge to find their own work. No. We have to... I think there is... The owner should be on us to find the work, but we need to be able to find the... We need to have the support to be able to go out and find that almost as soon as we can. Especially as the industry is so competitive. Yeah, exactly. Because it's only about now I'm starting to find avenues where I can find auditions, I can find people to send my work to, things like that. Yeah. But I will say, the course, in terms of becoming 
becoming a creative in terms of making your own work, devising work with other people, group work, films, things like that, is fantastic. Mm. The actual course content is way above where I thought it would be, and I still think I had a very good education in theatre making. Mm. I had plenty of opportunities out of it, but I, the only criticism I have of the course is the next step of mm. where you go. Because if you, want to, if you wanted to become a facilitator or um, admin in the theatre company, you could get the job straight out of university. Yeah. But anything besides that, there wasn't as much support right. getting into it. Yeah. But that is my only criticism of the course. I know it sounds very harsh. No, I, I can see where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I do think that was lacking in a big way. But you don't regret going to USW? Absolutely not. I loved my time at USW. I loved the people. And I definitely feel like USW was a fantastic place for me to be. Mm. It was the place that I needed to be at the time, and it left me with the confidence to go out and make my own work and find work to do with other people. Really. Great. I, I want to talk a bit about your acting technique. Do you have yeah. a set technique or approach that you use when you're preparing for a character? set approach it's more about understanding who the character is to begin with mm. it's about understanding who I'm going to become it's about finding their mindset who they actually are and how they f- think and feel in certain situations yeah so it's about I think what I do to begin with is I make myself a broad view of the character So, I'll write the name in the middle of the page, like, brainstorm who they are, Mm -hmm. and just have the bullet points, and then it's about finding a way to bring that into, make that into a believable person, a believable character, and then distilling that into someone that you can perform on stage. Yeah. Like, I believe there is... Uh, I believe prep work is where the character comes to life and it's finding the way to get from the bullet points to re- a real life person. Do you take things from your own experiences then, Santa? I do, yeah. I think a lot of my acting technique would be influenced by emotional recall. So I definitely think emotional recall factors heavily in how I in how I feel on stage and how it definitely affects my performance in many ways, I think. Yeah. And is that a skill that you've had to learn? Because I imagine it can be difficult to be able to control that emotional recall. Or, yeah, um, I mean, I still don't think I'm able to do it to the ability that I should be able to do it to. I'm still learning how to 
access and use those emotions really mm. because I had an initial training on it from the Yohan studio I worked on it throughout USW with many different tutors and lecturers but I still think I'm not as emotionally open as other people might really? be and I think that that's just from who I am naturally I don't think I am a naturally emotionally honest person I quite mm-hmm. like the height the natural form for me is hiding things, emotions yeah. from other people. And I think it's about, for me, it would be about trying to find a way through that. But then I'm at, I'm at a very early point in my career. So it's just finding a way in the next couple of years, maybe, of opening up a bit more, finding a way through that during my performance. And you will have opportunities to do that and explore yeah, and, I guess, play around with things, try things out, and if they don't work, they don't work. Yeah. With finding avenues you can go down and creating your own techniques, which yeah. work then. Yeah, because in regards to my own technique, I am, I am at a very early point, and I mm. don't think I've developed fully my own mechanisms for coping with learning a character beyond fully enveloping being enveloped by the character so I think uh, for now I feel like I've got a decent understanding of creating a character but I do think there's more work to be done and that's exciting Mm. Does it differ whether it's a contemporary piece or a classical piece? I don't think so, really. I think, um, obviously, beyond the language and the iambic pentameter, you are. The goal is, at the end of the day, to still create a believable character. Mm. So I think you can use the same techniques to. to approach the characters in the same way because someone from Wasted is going to be a human being in the same or different ways than someone in Much Ado About Nothing so you can approach human beings in the same sort of way as long as you find the differences that make them who they are Uh, what, what do you enjoy about classical theatre? Um, I think, it, for me, classical theatre is what I got into the business for. It, I had a lot of experience doing the Shakespeare Schools Festival when I was younger, all the way throughout school, every year. Yeah. And I think I grew comfortable in that, in... I grew comfortable with the language and I grew comfortable performing in the language. Yeah. And of course, when everybody thinks of acting, everybody thinks immediately Shakespeare. When you're younger, it's Shakespeare. So that's where I started. And I think I enjoy classical because that is where I started. That's where I got the majority of my time on stage. And that's where I felt most comfortable doing monologues, doing things that I enjoyed within 
within I have a pentameter and things like that. Mm. Is there a particular role that you've played in terms of classical that you've kind of um, really enjoyed? Um, that's a tough question because I think I've enjoyed all of them. But my favourite has to be Bottom in a, in a Midsummer. Yeah. Bottom is a fantastic character. Um, just getting to play that person who thinks he's got everything while he has the head of a donkey on top of his head. I guess it takes quite a lot of skill to get that right. Yeah, it's finding the honesty within within a man having a donkey's head and yes. having the queen of the fairies on, her, on his arm. Mm. It's finding the honesty of that within a surreal scene. Yeah. It's hard to, it's hard to know, like, where the boundary is between it being over the top and being realistic. And realism in that sort of scene is good for the audience, but it's it's hard to judge in rehearsals where to, where that would be, mm. where it's necessary to go to. Uh, I see. Yeah, just where yeah. where the line is between what the scene yeah. is and the style of the play and what the audience yeah. needs in terms of realism. Yeah. Because from an actor's point of view, everything that's happening on stage is real, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so I think for us, it's all about making sure that that is as real to us as it can be within the context of the play. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you wrote a play called Museum of Life for Fun Club, this company. Yeah, um, that was a good time. Uh, what was the process of writing the play like, and how did you decide to take it after any of that? We had the opportunity through the University of South Wales. Right. So, all of the, there was a couple of groups that were given the opportunity and we had to produce work that would be available to be performed at the Edinburgh Fringe. So we were all um, we were all in a small sort of race to get to the finish line. Oh, okay. In writing a piece applicable to Edinburgh. From, from the start, we always had the idea that we wanted to explore lying. We wanted to explore um, the different types of lies um, and how we use lying in our daily lives. Mm. And we wanted to explore the different um, the different forms that lying can take and how serious it can be or how light-hearted lying can be. Yeah. And that was where we had it from the start. But initially we were going to do that in a single linear play about a murder where that would be um, someone had killed their child okay. and they were lying about it to the audience that someone else had done it and that was good for, for the beginning but we decided later on we wanted to look at multiple stories within right. within the same play because it's hard to explore lying within a single line yeah 
So in the end, we came up with the idea of using different types of light in a museum setting because it was a nice framing device. Yeah. So so each light could be, um, each light could be divided up by different pieces of the museum. So, so I think, yeah. So I think we had different items. Uh, it was different items with different lights. So we had um, a child's bag. We had a bucket of popcorn. We had uh, a crocodile head. Right. We. I'm trying to remember all the items off the top mm. of my head, but we had different items to um, to showcase different lights. So alligator head was crocodile tears, false tears. Um, to gain sympathy for something. Yeah. <laughs> to gain sympathy for something. Um, a child's bag to symbolise white lies, little tiny, harmless lies. And then a bucket of popcorn to, was a more serious lie actually, that was, uh, it was to do with people lying about their illnesses. Okay. Had, um, a man who was diagnosed with a terminal illness who ran into someone he fell in love with and didn't tell them about his terminal illness yeah. and we decided to use that as a form of more serious light that's really interesting so we just had little stories weaved in between the narrative structure of the items and then that was all brought back to life brought back to reality with the museum tour guides I see yeah so we would we were in a museum uniform all the way throughout and we were guiding people around the museum and jumping in and out of roles all the way through oh it's and right. we made our way to the end um, how many of you in the cast five of us five and was there like a linear structure to it? Was there, or was it just as you say, these little vignettes? Or was there a kind of story that went through the whole piece? There wasn't a linear story between them, and there was nothing connecting the lights. Mm. But there was this, um, there was this device where we, as the tour guides, could come out and move you through the museum in a linear way. Okay. So we'd start on the left with one of the items and then we'd end up on the right with the last mm. of the items. So we'd move through the little vignettes of story mm. using that device. What, what kind of reception did you get? Um, in Cardiff we had a fantastic reception. We, had, uh, we did one performance at the University of South Wales and I think we did two at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. Right. And the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama one was full, as was the USW one. Yeah. When we did eventually arrive to Edinburgh, it was like um, being the clay and clay pigeon shooter. Ah. Uh. So it was like being fired out of, um, out of a trap and just <laughs> having other people shoot shotguns at you. Because <laughs> we went from audiences mm. to not having a base audience at all we had four people show up to our first audience what kind of venue did you have we had a 50 seat venue right at the bottom of the royal mile 
and we were trying to get people in as desperately as possible because I think the main problem we had and this is what I'd encourage people who were thinking about doing it we focus too much on the play whereas the advertising becomes a massive part of French theatre and what we didn't have to bring out to the streets to advertise while we were leafleting and and advertising our show was like an identity to identify the show with. Right. We'd rehearsed the play to the point we knew it through and through, but we hadn't rehearsed the identity we were going to portray on the streets. Oh, I see. And it, that's where we found we had problems. But mm. throughout the week, it was a process of developing our advertising, making ourselves bigger in the streets. Yeah making ourselves more noticeable, bringing the identity of the play out onto the streets. And by the third or fourth day at the Fringe, we'd managed to fill out the audience, really. That's good. Yeah, so we were quite, we were happy with that as a reception in the end. How long were you there for? How many performances did you do? We did 11 performances over 10 days. Right. Pretty full on, man. Yeah, but it was fun because we were we were all living together in a small Airbnb house. Oh, okay, cool. And we, were, we were all together in the morning, all together throughout the day and all together at night. Yeah. With maybe a few breaks to go and see pieces of theatre that we didn't... We, we all wanted to see by ourselves, really. Did you see anything while you were up there that really kind of impressed you or inspired you? There was one play in particular from one of the smaller venues. It was called Girls' World, and I cannot remember any of... I can't remember who was involved with it, but there were these two girls, and they were, they were 20-year-old adults like we were at the time, and um, they were portraying the innocence of, like, young girls playing about, mm. and it was about transition between being young children and becoming like more adult teenagers Okay. and what gets left behind when you transition from being a child to being a teenager and it was really a fantastic and emotional performance while also being the funniest thing we saw at the Edinburgh Fringe. That sounds amazing. Yeah, there was the one thing that really stands out to me was one of the characters went through the back of the tent, which was the which was the stage, and then the other one was left behind, not wanting to leave what they were leaving, which was um, it was a metaphor for leaving childhood. Nobody they didn't want to leave, or yeah. some people were eager to get out of it, and it was such like a, an iconic. That's a good great metaphor that they crafted there. Yeah. Wow. It's such like it's iconic of what the whole play was about. Mm. And oh, back to uh, Museum of Life, to briefly. Yeah. How was it appearing in a play that you'd written? Did you... and we all 
because we devised and wrote it at the same time. So you were the lead writer on it. It was a combined no, effort. It was um, a combined effort. We chucked it all. We chucked it all into different pieces to write by ourselves. Right. And then we would we'd go out and write our bits by ourselves. And then we'd throw that back into the mix and we'd all edit together. Okay. So, so, so we all had our own, our own influence on the play. But then, to make that cohesive, we added the rest of the cast and the crew of writers in. Mm. Just so we'd have one through line of a play that we'd all worked on together. I see. Yeah. Yeah. So we all had the, um, we all had our own things added in, but that had been edited by everybody else. Um, we'd edited everything as well, so we all had our say on everybody's bit of work. So it was really a collaborative piece then? It was a very collaborative piece. It was drawn together through the experiences of five people mm. and the things we were all interested in. And I th- I feel like that's the way I'd like to write in the future. Right. Just because cause I quite like writing by myself. But also I do find it a lonely experience not to share with someone. It can be. Yeah. Yeah. And I I really got into the world of theatre and acting because I like working with other people, so I think it's because I love writing, I enjoy writing. But to make it the best process for me, I'd like to have someone to work with. It does help to have another opinion of what you're saying. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you got involved with the Hamlet project at the WMC in 2019. I did. That I was involved with as well. Um, yeah. how, how did you get involved with the Hamlet project? It, again, like, like with the Young Actors Studios, quite by accident. Mm. I was scrolling through Twitter one night and I saw on the um, the Riverfront Theatre page yeah. they were advertising for people to join um, a group for young people throughout Wales. Mm. So I saw that it was Hamlet and I initially thought it was just a performance of Hamlet that we'd be involved with. And so I just put my name in for the Cardiff session said I was going to travel up from Pembrokeshire, and I just went for it. And it initially started out to be something much bigger than just being a performance of Hamlet. It was something more important than Hamlet, I think. Was it better than you expected it to be, or kind of more fulfilling than you expected it to be? I definitely think it was more fulfilling than I thought it would be, because it had much more heart. I agree. It had much more heart than going into a room performing Hamlet it had a an identity behind it it had passion behind it mm. and it had actual everybody had an actual influence on everything we were doing and it was really kind of group mentality everyone had equal yeah. weight within the bit <coughs> Yeah. Hanging out in the foyer with everybody and just being nervous about entering the room. Mm-hmm. And by the time that first session was over, I think everybody had come together as a group. 
and was able to work together in ways I haven't seen groups of people come together. I thought the way that we bonded as a company was phenomenal. I so quickly. Yeah, it was. And I still think that's the quickest the company's ever bonded. Yeah. It's happened. Especially on the residential weekends. Yes. We throw people in. Throw people from different groups in together. And then by the second day, everybody's comfortable with each other, comfortable giving 100% to the room, mm. and comfortable to commit to whatever they're told to commit to. But I think a lot of that was down to Gethin and Paul and their facilitation. Yeah. And they, they always kept you thinking. They, there was no stillness in that room. You were always yeah. working. Yeah, and that's why it's so tiring coming out of it. Mm. <laughs> because everybody always leaves tired, but happy about having done all that work. It's such an engaging process to be in a room without any real downtime away from the creativity. Yes. And it's, it... nice, it's nice to always be kinetic and moving and having something shaped. And that's where their leadership really works for the piece. Definitely, and hopefully you'll get some more money thrown at it. Yeah, and that's what I was... able to do more with it. That's what I was hoping. Because I loved the group we had. We had a fantastic group. Me too. And I mean, I I just hope that we can create a piece, something bigger, with that group, with that Cardiff group of people. Yeah, exactly. And continue what we've yeah. kind of built on. The last thing I want to ask you, Hugh, is... Oh... <coughs> What you, what you, what you wish someone would have told you when you started out? That's a very hard question. Um, what do I want? I don't know, because I, I think I had the benefit of being told everything somebody would want to, would want to know. Mm. Because I was part of the actor's studio. Mm experience they'd had they passed on to us and they told us what we needed to know in the reality of the situation but one thing I will say is I wish someone had told me back then that just because you aren't an actor in the moment it doesn't mean you aren't an actor all the time or you aren't a writer all the time if you aren't writing yeah because there's always time for life to happen in the middle of it I think you forget that I think there's so much of a focus on on being an actor on being making yourself as much of an actor as possible that you start to forget that life has to happen in the middle of it and there's mm. other things apart from acting as well and allowing yourself time to recover, recuperate, yeah. take time out is really important and people forget that, I think. Absolutely. I think it is an important part of, of being in the business. When you're doing it, you can give 100%. But when you finish from doing 100%, you have to bring yourself back mm. to 0 or 10% just to relax and be ready to give 100% when you're next asked to. Definitely. Because if you give 100% all of the time, 
there's going to be one one percent of that time you're going to be given zero percent. Blind two, that was great. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.